Welcome to the Ardent Archives, a ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. In this series, we are reading and discussing The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Written in the late 1600s, The Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life, following the main character, Christian, on his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. More than any other work in the history of the church, The Pilgrim's Progress captures both the struggles and joys of living the Christian life in a way that is not only accurate, but enjoyable to read. So prepare yourself for an epic adventure as we embark on The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Hello again and welcome back to the Ardent Archives. Uh, We are discussing the Pilgrim's Progress. We've spent a lot of time already discussing this book. We spent some time introducing you to John Bunyan. We've also talked about uh, Christian's burden. uh, And we've also talked about what it means to truly be to truly be saved, to truly have your burden, your sins dealt with. And then we also spent some time in our last discussion uh, dealing with some of the true pilgrims as well as the false converts and and really discussing what distinguishes uh, those two groups, what distinguishes those who are truly pilgrims and those who are are on the path and yet they are not true pilgrims. And so uh, what we're going to be doing in this discussion is we're going to be talking about some of the struggles of the path. Obviously, there's a lot that goes on uh, uh, on Christians' pilgrimage, um, as we mentioned in the introduction. That that this book really uh, really exposits the struggles and the joys of of the Christian life, and, and we see this uh, uh, played out in this dramatic telling of of Christian story. And so, I'm very excited to be jumping into this discussion again. I'm your host, Pastor Drew Bieber, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Pastor Josh McDaniel. Before we get started, uh, as we were doing some research uh, for these discussions, um, you know, there's there's several things in Bunyan's book that are are, are abundantly clear, right? Uh, as far as the allegory goes, Bunyan makes very clear uh, that Christian is a Christian by giving right. him the name Christian. Uh, it's we we don't really have any questions about who Evangelist is or what he does, right. what his po- part to play in the story is. Uh, but there are some things in the book that are are somewhat uh, a little bit more difficult to understand and not necessarily understand as far as the narrative goes. But as far as the allegory is concerned, what is actually what, what was Bunyan actually trying to express or what yeah. was he trying to represent uh, in this particular character or in this particular uh, portion of the story? And in my research, I came across a website from a guy named Ken Pulse. Um, Ken Pulse is a uh, he is a, a guitar teacher. He is a, an author. Uh, he's a worship leader. Uh, he's also a, a PhD. He's got a PhD in church ministry from South uh, Western Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, and he's also uh, spent a lot of time in church leadership. Um, and he's also a writer. He's done a lot of stuff with Founders Press, uh, writing some stuff. Um, as well as doing some editing and, and different things uh, like that. And his website's got some really interesting uh, things as, as far as uh, uh, playing guitar goes. He's got a lot of uh, music that he's written. Um, and he's also got a lot of lessons and everything he makes available on his, on his website. Uh, but as far as the Pilgrim's Progress is concerned, the reason I'm mentioning his website is because he's actually written a commentary on the Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, um, and it's a very in-depth, a very detailed uh, exposition of what Bunyan was getting at, and so he not only has some some valuable insights and different things like that, but he's also got um, got a lot of scripture references and and a lot of uh, research from a lot of other uh, a lot of Bunyan's other works, um, sort of explaining what Bunyan was trying to get at in in his allegory, and so I found it to be extremely helpful um, as I was you know looking at certain things, going how exactly should we understand who Apollyon was and, and what the battle with Apollyon represents. Um, his, his website was, was fantastic. And we actually have his website linked in the, uh, in the show notes for our discussions. I mean, it's all available for free uh, on the internet. And so if you are uh, struggling to understand some things that are taking place in this book, I cannot recommend enough uh, Ken Pulse's website um, and, and especially his, his commentary on the Pilgrim's Progress. And so as we jump in, right, we're discussing what the struggles of the path are and how they're represented in, in Bunyan's allegory in the Pilgrim's Progress. And we see several different instances of, of trouble or of struggle, um, of difficulty in, in Christian's life. And so I just wanted to kind of mention um, some of the most notable 
uh, struggles we see Christian go through uh, very quickly. Uh, obviously, one of the big struggles was his burden. Yeah. And we've already discussed that at, at length already in our one of our previous discussions. Uh, but one of the one of the first real struggles Christian comes upon is the swamp of despond. Yeah. And, you know, as he as he struggles to get through this swamp, you know, he is helped by a character named Help. And one of the things that help tells him is he tells him that the swamp represents sort of the uh, the struggle and the despair that accompanies uh, the you know knowledge of your burden when yeah. when you when you come under the weight and conviction of sin uh, you're immediately distraught because you recognize oh my goodness I have I have sin that needs to be dealt with and I don't know what to do kind of as as right. Christian had mentioned you know I know that I'm condemned to die and after that to face judgment and I'm not willing to do the first and I can't do the second right. And that's really all of the despair, all of the um, all of the doubt that that accompanies conviction of sin is is uh, what what help tells him settles there in that swamp. Yeah. And so something like the swamp is kind of you know very easy to to kind of understand. But a few other of the struggles that that Christian goes through, uh, we see him on the the hill difficulty, which I think oh, yeah. is that's pretty on the nose, right? Based on the name, that's kind of kind of clear what what we're dealing with. And even then, you know, as Christian uh, comes to the bottom of the hill. We see that there uh, there's are two diverting paths, one named, I believe, destruction and the other one. I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, off the top of my head. I don't know either. But but it's very obvious that that to divert from the path that God had ordained uh, would would lead to uh, Christian's demise. And so, you know, something like the hill difficulty really speaks to God's uh, foreordination, God's sovereignty in in difficulty and, and in struggle. Um, and then we also, as I mentioned, uh, we see uh, Christian's battle with Apollyon, which is a pretty, um, a pretty intense chapter. Yeah, uh, I had several chapters in this book that were that were some of my favorites. As far as the story goes, and as far as the the drama of the story goes, I think the battle with Apollyon is by by far my favorite. Really? Yeah. Well, there's just there's just so much that goes on, and it's very, um, I guess, exciting is the word. It it's is a very exciting yeah, chapter. It is exciting. You see. Really, you, you kind of see for the first time, Christian, I mean, Christian's going down. He's, right. you know, he's, he's not making it out of this, you know, and you really kind of see a sense of, of when before, when he's in the swamp, uh, you know, and when he's trapped there and the burdens on his back and he can't get out until help comes and helps him. Right. I mean, he does despair yes. in, in the swamp. This is the first real, real time where, I mean... Christian's going down. He's not walking out of this on his own, but his burden's been lifted, and you yes. see him respond to it very differently yeah. than when yeah. he is stuck under the weight of his burden. Yeah, and he he's he's not rejoicing. He's not happy that he's been attacked by Apollyon, and he's certainly not happy that he's going down. That yes. he is that he's under the the attack and the siege of Apollyon. He's not happy about that. But he has a very, very different mindset. And, of course, he doesn't go down. He takes right, the sword. Right. He does win the day and the battle is his. And he does walk away from it and continue on with his pilgrimage. But because of the cross, the way he encounters this struggle and the way he even deals with this struggle when it looks like he's not going to make it much further yeah. is completely yeah. different. Yeah. And so we're going to actually come back to the battle with Apollyon and kind of discuss that a little more in depth because there is a lot packed into that particular a particular struggle. Um, some of the other struggles that Christian faces, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah. which, again, was another really exciting chapter because there's there's portions of that chapter where. You know, Christian can't even see the next step in front of him. And, and, and as a reader, you're you're reading this going, what's going to happen? How, how does he get through this? And well, then it gets worse when he can see it. Right. Because then he realizes, oh, look at what I've been, you know, I haven't been able to see it. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it gets worse with sight even. You know? Right, right. And, 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 again, you know, this uh, this particular struggle, again, is, is very on the nose. Um, and not only that, but the idea of a valley of a shadow of death comes straight from the pages of Scripture. Yeah. Uh, where we learn that uh, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because God is with us, because our good right. shepherd is with us. And so we get to see a, a good deal of that in uh, in that chapter as well. Uh, we also uh, uh, see a particular struggle in Vanity Fair. Yeah. Which this is another one where we're going to come back and discuss this one a little bit more because, um, you know, obviously it's, you know, as we've already mentioned, you know, there are two real 
sort of gut punches as far as, uh, uh, you know, chapters in the book or portions of the story. And the one we've already discussed was ignorance yeah. and, and sort of his, uh, his story, but the way his story ends was, was particularly difficult to, to kind of deal with and swallow. But the other was, was what took place in Vanity Fair with Faithful. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're going to come back to that and, and kind of discuss that one a, a little bit more, but we also see the Hill Lucre. And although this isn't necessarily a, a struggle in, in the sense of it being a, an obstacle or anything like that. Right. Uh, we do see something represented here as far as uh, it being something that would pull Christian away from the path. Yeah, it's discomfort. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not comfortable. You know, it's it, it might be a thorn in the side, as Paul would put it. You know, it yeah. might not be something that, that you think, oh, man, that's that's a big, big deal. Yeah. But it's yeah. enough of a persistent pest that it gets him off the path. Right, right. Uh, we also uh, are introduced to uh, Bypath Meadow, which leads to Doubting Castle and, and the Giant Despair. This mm. is another one. We're going to come back and, and discuss this one um, a good deal more because there, there's a lot packed into this particular chapter. I think um, of all the chapters in the book, this one was probably the, uh, I don't want to say scariest because there's not really scary portions of the book. Right. But it was really this chapter that made me go, wow, this is this is kind of serious. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, to some degree, you know, this is kind of scary. What, what What's going on in this chapter? Yeah. Um, and then we also see the flatterer, which, um, you know, pulls Christian and hopeful off the path. Mm-hmm. And they were warned uh, not to follow the flatterer. Uh, they were warned not to listen to the flatterer. And yet they did. Um, and then we also see some some discipline from one of the shining ones yeah. for for uh, giving ear to the flatterer and for for heeding what they had to say and following them. And again, just some important lessons for us as we as we make our pilgrimage through this world, we're going to be met with uh, flattering tongues. We're going to be met with people who right. tickle our ears, who tell us what we want to hear, who uh, you know speak to our own you know, sensibilities or, or things we like or things we find comfortable and they'll attempt to, you know, to divert us from mm-hmm. the way, from the path, uh, using, using these things. And so it's important to be able to identify those things and to not give, give ear to those things. And then we also see, uh, they struggle in the enchanted grounds. And this one was a little tough for me at first yeah, to fully understand what, um, you know, what was taking place in the Enchanted Grounds, because as they as they made their way through the Enchanted Grounds, they were told not to fall asleep there. Well, yeah, and, and sleep is not a, a bad thing throughout right, the course of the right. book. Sleep is a good thing. It's a good gift. He's given those things when he when he comes to, I know we're going to talk about joys of the path in the next section, but part of the joys of the path is places where he can sleep. So, right, you know, right. you sit there and think, well, what's tough about him sleeping in this Enchanted Ground, you know, and that, that on the first glance, you think, well, that's not. That's yeah, not, why, why can't they sleep? Why they, I mean, I, I get it as a sort of a plot device, but and the way I've what's the always, problem with the Enchanted Grounds? And, and I know we'll get more into it, but the, the problem that I... If you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, there is a, a place where Dorothy and all of her companions, they go through this poppy field, and the poppy field causes all of the companions to fall to sleep, except for the Tin Man, who cannot fall to sleep. And so he tries desperately to wake them up. Is it the Tin Man or the Scarecrow? I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. But they, yeah. he tries desperately no to idea. wake them up, but he can't do it. It's not the idea that sleep is that sleep is a wrong or a bad thing because it is a good gift from God. So sleep is not a bad thing, but when sleep or when slumber or when sloth yes. creeps in and when it deters you from continuing on your path, then it's a, a major issue. Well, I think that's really what's represented in in the Enchanted Grounds is this idea of complacency. Right. When we become complacent in our faith and we don't see the need for con- for continuing to pursue right. Christ, to pursue the celestial city, when we get so comfortable that we say, ah, oh, you know what, um, I don't really need to read my Bible because I've read it every year for the past 12 years or the past 20 years or whatever. There's no need for me to read right. it again. Right. Or, uh, no, there's no need for me to get involved in the church because I've done that already. Right. I've already, you know, right. uh, there's no need for me to, you know, disciple the next generation. I've already discipled my kids and they're right. grown and they're fine. And so right. I don't really need to engage in this now. And, you know, those are just some off the hand examples, but in so many ways we do get complacent in our yes. faith. Yes. And really what that's what we see here is, is them fighting against complacency. Uh, on their pilgrimage. And then the last real struggle that we see Christian go through is in the river of death. 
And I'm not going to say too much right now because we will come back to this one as well. But uh, we do see as Christian is uh, uh, facing death, he does have some difficulty with with coming to grips with his own uh, with his own death. And so uh, but right now I'd like to go back and kind of discuss what's going on with Apollyon. Yeah. Who is Apollyon? Uh, Clearly, Christian had to fight him. What what exactly is is going on? And again, as we discuss these things, you know, I may make reference to uh uh, Ken's website uh, again. That's just it's KenPulseMusic.com. We've got it um, um, linked in our show notes for for our discussion episodes. I can't stress enough just how helpful it was and sort of how insightful he was in sort of breaking down what's taking place at, in in Bunyan's allegory. But Josh, what what's going on with Apollyon? Yeah, so uh, Apollyon comes at a very intriguing part. As I've already kind of alluded to, he is really the first big struggle, big obstacle that comes up after the burden is released. So it's a very a very timely thing. Now, he he has encountered, Christian has encountered people who tried to stop him before. Obstinate and pliable did. Yeah. You know? But this guy represents something completely different. And it's after the burden has been lifted. It's after salvation has come and he's dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Thank goodness he is dressed in the clothing of Christ. Because we understand that he is given uh, he is given from Christ, from his journey, he is given uh, armor, he's given a weapon, he's given a sword, he's given yeah. a shield, he's given all these kinds of things for the pilgrimage he's going on. And those become crucial and vital. Now, I do want to make sure that we stress at this point that, again, this is after salvation, that he comes into a deadly force against him. Yeah. A force that intends to stop him, intends to kill him, intends to, at the very least, turn him around and go back. Yeah. And it is a vital reminder for us today that we don't have a gospel that is a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Yes. In fact, if you have trusted in the gospel, if you are Christ's, if you are saved by the cross which Christ bore, if you are saved by his sacrifice, his atoning work, you have put your trust in him, your sin has been removed, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then in fact, you're going to face a threat that you've never even had before. A threat yeah. that is much more difficult. And Apollyon is not just a man. Apollyon represents these powers and these principalities and these heirs and these kings of this dark world. Right. right. Represents the spiritual force that's at work against us. And Apollyon comes up and, and he, he claims ownership of Christian. You used to be mine. Yes. You're supposed to be mine. And, and you need to turn around and continue to be mine. And, of course, Christian's response is, I am not yours. I am now the king's. Well, he's, been, he's, been, he's had a mark placed on his forehead. Yes. He's, he's been marked out as, as belonging yes. to Christ. Yes. I mean, yeah, look at the place on my forehead. I am stamped out for someone else's kingdom. Yeah. And because of that, all of a sudden, a different force entirely comes. It's a spiritual force that comes against him. And all of a sudden, Christian's not walking hand in hand with this force. Christian is walking in direct opposition to it, and he hates it. Apollyon fights him. He fights him hard, and and Apollyon looks like he's going to get the upper hand. In fact, Christian loses his sword in the middle yeah. of the battle and 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 he's being crushed under the weight of Apollyon and he's he's just knows he's going to die there but his hope is still in the Lord during this time his hope is still in Christ because yeah. the burden has been relief uh, has been lifted and and his his righteousness is tied in him yeah and kind and, of going to to Ken's commentary he does make a, a a pretty insightful comment on on Christian sword and and when he loses his sword uh, and here's what he had to say he said is it is when Christian has a dreadful fail and the sword fights out of his hand that Apollyon sees his greatest advantage. We are at our weakest in the spiritual battle when we lose grip on the sword, the word of God. Absolutely. Only when Christian uh, revives and takes up that two-edged sword does again the tide of the battle turn. The sword of our choice offensive weapon, it is our choice offensive weapon, especially when the battle involves confronting our own sinfulness and pride. 
And we have to understand that even in the temptation in the desert, when Christ was met by Satan himself, and Christ is... He's gone for 40 days and 40 nights without food or drink, and Satan comes to him, and Satan looks to test him and to tempt him, and he goes at him with everything he has, and we have that account where three times he comes at him. All three of the answers that Christ himself, the Son of God, the very one who provides our salvation, the very one who bore the cross so our sins can be forgiven, the very one who lived righteously so we can have a righteousness that's not our own afforded to us, even the Son of God here on earth, the way he combated against the, the, the devil himself, was with the scriptures, was with the scripture, and the Old Testament scriptures at that. Yes, Deuteronomy uh, would be uh, at yeah. least two of them, uh, where he quotes from. And, and it's important to point out too, in, in in that particular instance, that Satan also comes to the to the fight with scriptures, right? And and this isn't this isn't simply a battle of the proof text. Well, you've got your proof text. Well, let me give you my proof text, and we just see who's got the better proof text. Right. But this is why it's it's absolutely imperative for the Christian to not neglect the whole counsel of God in the scriptures. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the issue was not your scripture versus my scripture. It was the true word of God as God intended it to be spoken and intended it to be understood in its context versus uh, a twisting of the scriptures. Right. Uh, I can't remember who I heard say it, but, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I heard somebody say, you know, don't you twist scripture lest you be like Satan or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the context of the, of that uh, particular quote comes from, but I always found that interesting. And that's, and that's the truth is that right. Satan will attempt to use God's word and he will twist God's word in order to, uh, to oppress us in, in order to, to do battle with us. Yeah. And we need to be equipped with the whole counsel of God so that we may be able to, to fight back with, right. with that sword, with the, with the word of God. Right. Right. And, and we see that's how Christian fights Apollyon. Yeah. And he does escape. He does win the battle. Now it, it hurts. It takes his toll. But he wins not because of the strength of his own hand, not because of his own might, but because he has been given an incredible weapon by the God who saved him. He's been given the sword of the Spirit. He's been given the Word of God, and he knows how to use it. And, And the amazing thing is we don't see him pull out that sword again in the same way when he meets all the other people along the path, these false converts. Yeah. But what yeah, is he right. what does he always what is his offensive weapon in every single encounter? It's, it's always the, the word, of, word God. of God. Yeah. And so we see it across the board in every single struggle you come to. The answer is the word of God. For the believer here on earth, we have to know the word of God because it points us perfectly to the son of God who bore our sin and gave us his righteousness. Right. Right. Absolutely. And we see, I mean, like you said, we see that throughout the entire book. We see, we see Christian do battle. We see Christian engaging with the world as he's pilgrimage, uh, as he's on this pilgrimage through the world. And what is he always equipped with? He's equipped with the word of God. Yeah. And you know, we are as Christians, we are supposed to be people of the book. We are supposed to be students of the word. And because we've had we've had it so easy and we've we've been able to live fairly comfortable lives in, um, you know, in the 20th and 21st centuries, we've neglected to, to know the, yeah. the full counsel of God. We've neglected to, to be students of the word. And so hopefully as we as we look at Christian, we can be encouraged and we can also be um you know, exhorted to to not neglect the sword that God has given us right. to do battle, to do spiritual battle, and that is His His word in, in the scriptures. Right. Um, and so, uh, along with the battle with Apollyon, Vanity Fair was another uh, struggle yeah. uh, that I definitely wanted to to spend some time discussing. And because, this one hurts every time I read it, man. This one hurts. Yeah. Um, obviously, we do see uh, at the end of Vanity Fair, we do see that uh, Faithful is martyred. Um, and I want to say before they get to Vanity Fair, uh, didn't they meet with evangelists and wasn't it evangelists who told yeah, he them, warns them. Um, hey, one of you is not going to make it. Yeah. They're um, warned. Yeah. You're one of you is not going, not one of you is going to, one yeah. of you is not going to make it through it. And he even says, you know what? It'll actually be better 
for the one who doesn't make it through. Right, right. Because there are struggles aplenty for the one who continues on. Um, and yeah. there are. There are. But, man, when you read it, it it hurts so bad. Not just for not just for faithful. Yeah. I mean, your 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 heart is just 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 weeping for faithful, but also for Christian because the words of evangelist are, hey, it's going to be worse for for him to who continues on. Yes, because faithful's journey is going to end, and his end is the celestial city. You got a little longer to go, Christian. Right, right. And again, um, what we see. Uh, uh, with evangelist is that evangelist is not preaching to them some some health and wealth gospel. No. Instead, what he's doing is he's preparing them for persecution, right? And even preparing them to to die uh, for their faith, right? And again, that's just something that in in our twenty first century Western you know Christian experience, that's not something that we have done very well. We have not um, we have not really equipped Christians to be prepared to be persecuted, right? I mean, when the Christian faith came about, it was immediately under persecution. Mm-hmm. And it's really only in the last few hundred years that Christianity has been, uh, you know, to some degree, at least in the United States, free from persecution. Yeah, I was watching um, an interesting documentary on uh, the American Gospel TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a documentary called Epic. It's a series with Tim Challies where he just goes, uh, he travels around the world and he kind of is looking for... Um, just artifacts and different uh, things okay. pertaining yeah. to uh, Christian history, yeah. uh, the history of the church. And I, I told my wife uh, the other night, we were watching uh, uh, the particular episode on, I think it was England. It was either England or, or Ireland. Okay. And in all of these places where the Christian faith has had such a major impact and, and has a, a very long history. Uh, you know, there's all these monuments and there's all these museums that sort of house some of the, the, you know, artifacts from history. But one of the things I found so interesting is that in all of these places, they have monuments memorializing the persecution that took place, Yeah, whether it was of particular individuals or groups of people, you know, uh, I think it was somewhere in Ireland. They had a spark marked off on the street that a particular, you know, uh, uh, Christian was martyred, was burned at the stake in this particular spot. Right. And, and I told my wife, I said, we don't really have anything like that in the U.S. Right. And, and, and you know, as far as that goes, I'm very thankful for that. Right. Um, you know, because we were we were we were very clearly founded on, on Christian principles as as a nation. And so there wasn't there wasn't sort of in our history, a persecution of Christians because we were kind of Christians at the beginning, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But one of the things I just noticed is that there's persecution and, and even, you know, death for the Christian is something that is kind of just baked in to the cake. Yeah. Right. Jesus is the, is the one who told us like, you know, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, Yeah. but actually you should be prepared to be persecuted because they hated me first. Right. And that's not yeah. something we, we, we really think of when it comes to being a Christian. Right. We just think, no, I go to church and, you know, yeah, God helps me, you know, not right. do bad things or helps me change my attitude or, or, or whatever. But in this chapter for in, in Vanity Fair um, it is, you know, outside of, you know, Apollyon or, or some of Christians uh, individual struggles. This is really where we see persecution in yeah. the Christian story. And the thing is that that's so alarming. So Vanity Fair, everyone knows what it is to be vain or to have a lot of vanity. You know, you, you you're seeking your own pleasure or yeah. you're you're falling in love with yourself above all other things, you know, and everything. So Vanity Fair, everyone knows what a fair or a festival is. You know, it's it's a place where you can go and you can get indulgences. So Vanity Fair, you are going to a fe- a festival where you can get involved in, you know, in falling in love with yourself more and yeah. more and more and more. And they they highlight ways to do this, you know, and everything. They don't Bunyan doesn't linger long on on all of the temptations but he does talk about them yeah and the thing that that really strikes me when you first go in there that faithful and christian are just you know kind of trying to keep their head down almost even you know now they will talk with people and everything in the sense that what they will say is no we don't want that right no we don't want that that's not what we're here for we're just we don't want that and what they are persecuted for is, on the initial surge, 
you don't want what the what the vain world what this festival is giving you you don't want that what is wrong with you and because they are so different than everybody else who's there because they're not going for all these indulgences of the flesh and all these sins of the fair they are immediately recognized and ostracized and then persecuted for where they stand yeah and they're thrown in these cages. They are, I mean, berated, and they are uh, put on trial. Falsely testified against. Yes, falsely testified yeah, against. Everything, and it's all because, it's all because they don't belong to this world. Yeah. And, and, and so. Well, and they are failing to engage in the sins we're engaged in or to affirm us in our, in our sins. Right. And so what does that do? Because you are not one of us, because you are not affirming us, you are an enemy to us. Yes. And we need to understand that that is how the world will always look at a believer. Yeah. A believer will come and talk about the love of Christ. A believer will come and talk about the wrath that is to come, but the mercy of God that has brought away to salvation. A believer will come and speak the truth with love. All of those things. And the world says they want that. They say yeah. they want love and they say they want truth and they say all those things. But they want to define those things for themselves. Yes. They don't want it to, those things defined as, as God defines them. Right. And if you and don't want the it reality, the way we've got it, yeah. then we want to go after you. You're and that's the reality is that is we see in the scriptures that sinful man is hostile to God. Mm-hmm. And when you have a Christian who represents the king, right, who represents God, uh, rightly, uh, it doesn't matter how you know sort of nice you are. You're coming into conflict with the th- uh, with the, the thing that they're like. You represent everything they're hostile to yeah. as as sinners, and so yeah. it's really not. And the reality is, is that this is all of our disposition until we're saved by Christ, right? And, right. And and the truth is, is that until. Until hearts and minds are, are changed, until hearts are changed, uh, that heart of stone is taken out and it's replaced by a heart of flesh. They would continue to be hostile to God. Right. It really doesn't matter how how much uh, or how true it is that the things you represent, the things you're offering is is love and it's peace and it's uh, uh, compassion and you want uh, you want to advocate for human flourishing. It doesn't matter. You represent that thing that I'm hostile towards. Right. I'm hostile towards my creator. I'm hostile towards God. And I can't have that in my life. And There's, it's so clearly seen with Faithful's testimony. Yes. Faithful gets up and fa- he, he does have the opportunity to speak. And when Faithful gets up and when he does speak and when he does proclaim the truth that is within him, the truth that is real for all of those who live in Vanity Fair, when he gets up and when he makes his proclamation and he 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 tells them, Everything that is right and good, they don't want it. Yep. And, and you see it clearly. Not only has he acted in a way that is contrary to what we act like, he is also testifying to a way that is different from the way we live. Yes. And because of that, not only are we wanting to ostracize him, but we are wanting to put him to death. And they do. They kill faithful for it. And it's it hurts so badly. And, and Bunyan's very respectful in that he doesn't go into some sort of lengthy disposition about yeah. how they kill him or anything like that, because that's not... That's not the point of the story. That's not the point. Yeah. The point is, in Vanity Fair, in a world that says, love yourself above anything else, including God, when you come into contact with those who love the festivities of that world, and you don't engage in them... Sometimes that itself is enough to make them hate you and want to even put you to death. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to I just want to read the the song that that Christian sings after after faithful um, after faithful is martyred, and and Christian says, "Well, faithful you have faithfully professed unto your Lord, with whom you shall be blessed. When faithless ones, with all their vain delights, are crying out under their hellish plights, sing, faithful, sing, and let your name survive. For though they killed you, you." are yet alive. And I think, you know, Christian obviously recognized that it faithful's life was not wrapped up in his pilgrimage. Mm. It wasn't wrapped up in his, his, 
you know, sort of uh, mortal life. He wasn't tied to the right. things of this world. And, and again, we see in the scriptures that uh, to live is Christ and, and to die is, is gain. gain. And that is, and that is clearly uh, evident in, in the story of faithful. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Vanity Fair was, it, it is, it, it's a tough chapter to, to go through, but I think there's a lot for, for us as Christians to learn from faithful story. Um, and there's a lot of things that we can, um, that we can glean, especially as we are continually coming into contact with a culture that's, that's contrary to, mm-hmm. to scripture. Um, now a couple more, um, struggles that we wanted to discuss are, are, uh, doubting castle and, and the giant despair. And, and, and you, you mentioned, um, that, that the doubting castle, the giant despair, that those things, that those things were it kind of impacted you that those were chapters. Yes. That was a chapter that, that really, that, that stuck in your brain. It always sticks in my brain, but with this kind of being, you know, a, a project, I, I would like to hear, you know, what, why did that one stick out? Like, why did those hit so hard? Yeah. Well, uh, if you remember from the story, Christian and hopeful, uh, are on the path and they see, uh, this meadow called mm-hmm. bypath meadow and they divert from the path and they, they sort of take this adjacent path. Mm-hmm. And at first the path seems as though it's consistent with the path that they're on. And so it's a little bit easier over here and it's going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's kind of, you know, make it a little bit easier on ourselves. Let's take this other path. Yeah. And that path quickly diverts from, from the main path. And I think that's a, a, a very good illustration of some of the things we engage in as, as Christians. We know what God's word says. We know what it demands of us. And sometimes we make excuses or rationalizations to, to go a different direction. Yeah. You know, um, um, that we even think is, is running adjacent to it. Right. You know, and, right. and, and, uh, you know, as, so without jumping into politics or anything like that, there's so many people who believe that that being on the right political party is to be in right standing with Christian beliefs. Right, right. And we need to understand that even though you and I, you know, would probably say that, yeah, there are some policies and there are some procedures. There's some that, overlap there for that, sure. Yeah that, yeah, that are certainly closer to to say that I am this political party is not to say I'm a Christian, right? You know, and right. to say that I am a Christian does not necessarily mean I belong to this political party. Yeah. At the end of the day, they do run similar. There are some of some policies and procedures that do run similarly, but if you value a political party or that path above your Christian faith, yeah, it will steer you off. Um, and I think that's that's a interesting mistake that I've seen a lot of people in my life yeah. make. And so, um, you know, we do see, uh, once they make it out of the, uh, out of the castle, uh, it says that they erect a monument to, to warn other yeah. pilgrims. And I think that's another important thing is that as, as Christians, uh, we are going through this life and we will, we will struggle. Uh, we will fall. Um, but if we have truly been saved, we will, we will be brought back to that path. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important that when we, uh, when we struggle, uh, when we are maybe tempted and even fall to certain sins, that we uh, don't try to hide those things, but instead we we use those as lessons to our brothers and sisters. Hey, I know that uh, th- this may seem like a good idea. It's not. I've been down this path, and it only leads to doubt and despair. As, yeah, as we see I mean, in, as, in I mean it's just again so on the nose, and the, yeah. and and you know they get captured by the giant despair. Yes, they're thrown into the doubting castle. It's so very well worded in that the way these two things work out in the castle, there is no light. There's no, there's, there's no sunshine. There's no brightness. There's no joy. There's nothing like that. And so what immediately begins to set in is doubt, particularly for Christian. Yes. Christian is the one who struggles most in this one. And and so we, we need to thank God for companions like hopeful who come along and, and hopeful actually comes along because of faithful's testimony in vanity fair. Yeah. You know, but, but hopeful is there and hopeful encourages him and guides him, helps him get through it. But he begins to doubt what has happened to him. He begins to doubt his own salvation even yeah. because he cannot see the sun. He cannot see, he cannot keep his eyes on Christ in that place. And so yeah. 
he goes through significant doubt there that that if I had just how foolish was I to get on this this path that led me here how foolish was I to have gone through all these things why wasn't it me and it's a very woe is me a very doubt which can be a very biblical thing to be woe is me yeah yeah but this is not a biblical woe is me this is a doubting one and and it's it, it causes him to be wrecked well, and this is this was part of what what really impacted me from this chapter is I think we were halfway or over halfway through recording this chapter, and it kind of hit me that you know I was caught up in the drama of mm-hmm. it in the narrative of it, and it kind of hit me that like oh he's he's actually describing what it's like to deal with doubt mm-hmm. and to deal with despair yeah and the reason it really impacted me was was first the realization that doubt and despair are um, uh, realities for for even those who are Christians. Right, uh, Christians can experience despair. They can experience doubt, and we see in the story that uh, the giant despair uh, uh, beats them constantly, yeah. and even tries to get them to kill themselves. But he, yeah, I, he gets I, them to despair. Yeah, he and wants I think them to do that. You know, often when we when we talk about you know things like depression or or even the contemplation of of suicide, we kind of have this. Um, uh, we kind of paint over it with just this sort of, you know, it's almost a naivety, mm-hmm. if I can put it that way. We mm-hmm. just say, oh, well, the gospel's enough. And it's true that the gospel is enough, but that doesn't, we, we almost do that to sort of not have to deal with yeah, true despair right. or true doubt. Right. And and so what impacted me more than anything was, uh, like I said, the realization that these these are true experiences uh, for Christian and, and for Christians in, in general. Yeah. But then also the fact that, the way that Bunyan describes despair, I can't help but thinking that he was writing from his own experience. Yeah, he was in prison himself. Yeah, uh, he was locked away. And so, I don't want to make make the claim that that he dealt with despair in the same way that Christian did in in his book, but it was just such a a vivid sort of explanation of what and and dramatic telling of what despair is like. You know, it's right. constantly beating you day in and day out. Uh, it's difficult uh, to survive. You question whether or not it's worth it to carry on. All this, all this sort of stuff. And thankfully, I've never had to deal with despair like that. But I guarantee you that we have uh, we have people in our church, we have people in our communities, we have people in our lives who who have. And I, I think it's a brilliant thing the way Bunyan describes how they escape. Yes, they've been locked up. They've been beaten. They've been given knives, and they've been told, you know, in a disparaging sense, commit suicide. And or I'll, it's, or it's, I'll kill you myself. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a you almost feel like on your first, or at least I did on my first reading. I remember it's, it feels almost anticlimactic. You mean they don't they don't conquer the the the, the giant? The giant. Yeah. They don't. Why does he battle some, it like he battled the? Polyon. Yeah. Why is yeah. there not this big thing like that? It's so mundane. It, at first, when you say anything, he just forgot that he had a key. Yeah. And but that's the but that is the key yeah. to doubt and despair. And, and it's the thing you have forgotten the promises of God. Yes. You have forgotten yes. the goodness of Christ. Yeah. You have forgotten the salvation that removed your burden and clothed you in righteousness. If your salvation was not dependent on you, then your ability to overcome this giant and to escape this castle is not up to you. I have given you the key in my gospel. Right. right. Look to me. See my promises. Yeah. And it's so brilliant in that you 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 kind of think, well, he's got to just, you know, pull himself up by his own bootstraps and he's got to go and conquer this giant. But no. The way has already been provided for him to be out. Yeah. Well, in the same way that Christian was able to conquer Apollyon with the word of God, Christian is able to escape despair with the promises of God. Right. Word. Right. And I do think that that is, um, you know, that's one of the things we often forget is that God has given us everything we need in his word. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, made mention of just sort of, you know, throwing out there the cliche, well, you know, the gospel's enough uh, kind of deal. And, you know, I do think that we need to acknowledge the the true realities of despair. We need to acknowledge um, and walk alongside of those who are in despair um, in the same way that hopeful was there for Christian. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at, you know, Christian compared to hopeful, hopeful was fairly hopeful yes. dur- during that yes. situation. Oh, he and was yet, absolutely. And yeah. yet Christian was not. And he was there with Christian walking through that experience with him. Yeah. Um, and so we do need to to 
we do need to keep in mind that these things are true. These things are real. We need to walk alongside those who are experiencing these things. But we also need to remember that the answer is not found in anything other than God's word. Right. And, and we, promises. we have to be faithful if we're walking with them through it. We have to be faithful to point them always to Christ. Yeah. Point them always to the solution. Because we cannot come up with the words or we cannot come up with the with the twelve step strategy to get out of it. Right. But we do know the one who can. Yes. And so we always need to be po- uh, pointing to him. Yeah. And lastly, I wanted to talk about the the river of death. And this was another one that, uh, you know, just in the way that, you know, Bunyan sort of explains it, I thought was was incredible. Um, obviously the first and the biggest thing that stands out is they are on one side of the river of mm-hmm. death and the celestial city is on the other. And they're told they have to go through the river. Mm-hmm. There's no way around it to right. get to the celestial city. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a true reality for us. The, the only way to Christ is, 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 is through death. Right. The only right? way to see and to be with Christ right now yeah. before his return, before he's, he brings a new heaven, a new earth Right now, the only way to see him for our faith to become sight is through death. Yeah. And and no one no one gets away from it. Now they do make a reference that in the scriptures there have been two. Right, right. Uh, Enoch and Elijah were the only two that uh how do they say it? They said, um I said, but only two since the foundation of the world have been permitted to tread that path, namely Enoch and Elijah. Right. And that was it. That's it. And 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 we don't know why those two, and 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 we're not going to pretend to ever know why those two. You know, yeah. this side of 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 being with Christ, but for whatever reason, those two didn't have to, but all else do. Right. And right. as they hopeful and Christian go through that river, it is so interesting to me that you know they say is it deep. And they say, well, it's, it's deeper for some than it is for others, you know, or the mindset is that, yeah. you know, yeah. the, for some it's, it's a, it's a, it's a greater difficulty than for others and hopeful it's not as much of a deal or, yeah. I mean, it's still difficult. Well, we see Christian uh, is immediately overcome right. by, by, by right. the river. And, and at one point he calls out to hopeful and hopeful says, well, I can touch the ground where I'm at, Yeah, you know? And so we, we do see there's, they're in the same river and yet there's, uh, the way that we experience or approach or deal with death can be different. Right. And I've known believers, uh, you know, uh, several, unfortunately, who have, who have, who have died and, and, and now their faith is, is sight and they've yes. seen Christ and it's been good. And there were some who their death was a great struggle and yeah. a great difficulty. And I'm not just talking about physical pain. I'm talking about the the grievous nature of yeah. I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And then there were some who when they faced death, they looked at it and said, I am going to be with my Lord. Yeah. And it's it, you know, there is there's not a wrong for the ones who hate death because Death shouldn't is an unnatural thing. It's it's not part of the human existence from the beginning. It's an unnatural element that's been added because of sin. So we should hate death. We should yeah. despise it. And so it's not a bad thing to be grievous over our death. But it's also not a wrong thing to look at death and to say, if this is what it takes to, for me to see my Lord, so be yeah. it. And we see that even in Christians' uh, uh, struggle with death, it wasn't a, it wasn't a struggle where he looked back and said, "Oh, I don't want to die. I long so much for the things of this world." Right, right, right. But instead, his anguish came from from his own doubt. Mm-hmm. As he as he looked back over his life, he realized, "I'm a sinner." Yeah. I have I have not been faithful. I have I have sinned. I have failed. I have not measured up to the standards that God has laid out. What am I going to do about right. it? Right. And and it's really until he remembers the fact that he's been saved. Right. That hopeful points out to him that that if you belong to Christ, you have nothing to fear. Right. Um and so often, you know, I, I do think that's an important distinction to make that Christian struggle was not a, a struggle with leaving the world. Right. It was a struggle with recognizing his own sins and shortcomings. And his, his unworthiness. Yes. You know, yes. I, I know that my God is faithful, but I know I have not been. And that yes. causes me to grieve. Uh, whereas hopeful looks very hopeful. Again, right. his, again, his name is, is, is 
is right on the nose. And he is rejoicing in the fact that the king is faithful and that the king is good. And, and, and he's got, he's got them taken care of. Yeah. And so in all of these struggles that, that we see Christian go through, I think, you know, again, an important thing to point out is that as the, uh, the own old Marine Corps recruiting poster says, we're not promised a bed of roses. Oh, when it comes to the Christian faith, Um, we're not promised that everything will go easy for us or that we'll always be liked and we won't be persecuted. We're not, uh, you know, promised a a, a G5 and a million dollar house. Um, Instead, what we're promised is, is eternal life. And as we, and that we'll never be alone and that we'll never be alone. That's right. And and as we make our our way through this world, as we, as we uh, uh, make our own pilgrimage, in this Christian life, it's important to keep in mind that no matter what comes, if we have truly been saved, if God has, has, has truly dealt with our sin and has put his mark on us, then we have nothing to fear in this life. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion of the Pilgrim's Progress, and we hope that it has been edifying to you and your walk with Christ. Now, this conversation is by no means exhaustive, so we pray that our discussion leads to meaningful conversations with friends and family as you consider what it means to be a pilgrim in this world. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us at podcasts at northclay.org. For more information from North Clay Baptist Church or from the Ardent Archives, visit our website at www.northclay.org. We look forward to learning with you again soon here on the Ardent Archives.